Am I on? I'm, I'm, oh, I'm on there. I'm, just the music. <coughs> we'll need a toilet break because we're British. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to other nations, I'm not quite sure what they do in other nations. But <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been in other nations. They seem to do the same thing. So, but there you go. There's, maybe they don't. Maybe I don't know what they're doing. So, but maybe they do something else entirely when I'm unaware. So, um, somebody just actually. Uh, so this painting, which actually comes from somewhere in Israel, and it is a depiction of the lady touching the hem of his garment. So it's a it's a church somewhere in I think the, in the church is it somewhere in, in Magdala, Magdalene? Magdalene. Anyway, there we go. So that's why that's there. It's a bit of a reminder of, of it's quite a graphic depiction. That isn't actually what she's doing to get. Anyway, there we are. That's, if you, well, what's that? That's, that's the reason. That's, that's, that's a good backdrop on that. Um, and uh, just to the guys at the, <laughs> who's there at the desk, sometimes I want um, we we'll get the, the uh, heaveninhealthcare.com website up because I'll, I'll throw that up there. Because what we're going to do this afternoon, we're going to look at um, the issue of compassion, um, and then we're going to talk uh, around that, and then we're going to do some stuff on. Heavenly healthcare, and, and heavenly healthcare is is <coughs> is a common um, reality that we need to actually look at. Because I would suggest there's nobody in this room who's not actually touched by the world of health yeah. um, or ill health. However, it's, it's actually a concern for all of us. Um, and uh, how many of you would like to see more of heaven expressed in in, in the health world? Yeah. Um, well, we're going to have a look at that, and so that <coughs> the reason I—oh, there we go. It's there. Um, reason I, I asked to incorporate that in in the program um, because it's obviously very important to me. But I, I believe catching all Christians up on the idea of this is really important because you know, when you interact with with the health world, you you can actually be heaven in the health world. You don't have to work there. You can, yeah. So how you interact... <laughs> do you know you can carry heaven into the doctor's surgery with you? Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And... Yeah, yeah, it's not just... Oh, so, so how are you interacting with that? And, and the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, yeah? yeah. You have the Holy Spirit? I've got my friend there, got the Holy Spirit. So that means you have more joy and peace than you could ever imagine available to you. So how about dispensing some joy and peace when you enter the world of healthcare? How about encouragement? How discouraged is the medical world at this moment in time? Sadly discouraged, I would say. It saddens me a lot. But actually, so, so when I come around talking about that, please don't think, oh, this is that bit for those group of people. But if you are you know, actively engaged in, in the world of healthcare, and that will be from anybody, and it can be... And we've gone away from the idea of health professionals, so obviously doctors and nurses, physios, but actually you work in a care home, uh, your social work or something like that where you, you are engaged. It can be fitness if you're actually doing... We've got you know, fitness instructors who are part of this because it's all to do... It's not just actually getting over illness, it's actually whole well-being. It's a massive, massive thing. And we're involved in the re- looking at the restructuring of models of health provision um, in Ebb Street Garden City, which is where 
our building is, and we are the worship and community facility in the newest city being built in the UK at the moment. And so we're actually actively engaging with this city as it's being built <coughs> and uh, some of the, the health professionals actually in Eastgate, and there's quite a lot of us, um, are very specifically engaged in looking at different models of health uh, provision, which uh, have a lot to do with, with community engagement, which is, again, that could be you. Um, anyway, there we go, so that's a little bit. Um, <coughs> I, I've, as I've told you, I, I've, I've expected healing and miracles to be a normal part of my Christianity since I was born again, and so it's been fortunate that that's, I've been fortunate enough to battle through with that and seen that uh, since I was in my teens, and uh, so more than 40 years now. Um, and <coughs> I've got some stories, one of which I will share with you during this session. Um, but following some of those stories coming out um, in the sort of network of churches that I was in at that stage, I was got started to be asked to go and uh, teach churches how to pray for the sick. So Now, it, what was interesting was, was I'd never actually thought of that of how I did it. Um, you know, I, was say, I just I just did it. So so I'd never actually thought oh, when it came around to teaching other people how I how I did it, I had to do some study. I thought because well, I I just do it. How do you do it? You know, like, no, sometimes you can play a sport. You know you can play it, but to actually teach somebody else how to play that sport, you'd have to think, go back to principles. So so I studied <coughs> I studied the Bible, went through all the Gospels, think how did Jesus do it? That's the best example. How, how did Jesus do it? And what I realised was there is no how-to. There, there just isn't a how-to. Um, and so I refused to give a how-to. And Because when you start to give how-tos, you, you, you normally go down the line of, of techniques and formulas that people start to rest on what they're doing rather than who's inside them. Okay, so, so I don't believe in, in a five-step model, a three-step model, or a ten-step model. I believe in a one-step model, which is as long as you touch Jesus, you'll be all right. Yes. That, that's, that's, uh, <coughs> now, there are ways of facilitating that, and I understand that, but, but I, I'm not here to teach you techniques. But the two things I found as I studied the New Testament, which are fundamentally important, was faith and compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. And because faith without love is clanging symbol. It's not recommended by God in the Bible. And these two need to go hand in hand. And the, as Sasha was saying, that, and we'll keep on saying to you that, that why does God want to heal people? Because he loves them. It's not so that he gets glory. He's got plenty of it. He will gain glory through this. Or not, but that's, that's not his motivation. His motivation is he loves people. Why do I pray for the sick? Because I love them. Now, that, that's, now we have to get that at the basis. All right, so we're going to go on that. And, and so Leslie's going to come and do some stuff on this, aren't you? So this is Leslie. Another part of Eastgate. Away you go. Hiya. I'm from Yorkshire. <laughs> now, my dad was born in 1912, so in April I'll be 21 again. 
Um, so when my dad was growing up, um, everyone had a coal fire. And uh, a coalman would come round and deliver the coal by horse and cart. And my dad was a great storyteller. And he told this story about the coalman's horse. And this horse was famous in our family. And this horse, it would, it would just go its own way. Sometimes it would mount the pavement at will. It would knock things over. It knocked down a wall one time. It was a big horse. It didn't hurt it. And the most frustrating thing, though, for this coalman was that when he got down to deliver the coal, the horse would bolt back to the yard. It was loaded horse, but it went back to what was safe and familiar. <laughs> now, I was like that horse. And somebody once asked the coalman, he said, Alf, what's up with that horse of yours? He said, no, it just doesn't give a monkeys. <laughs> I wanted to go my own way. And I'd run back to what was safe and familiar. Because I didn't have the capacity, the staying power to persevere for long, to stay in that place with God. But the difference over time was that God built in his compassion. Now, compassion contains God's heart for what he loves. And um, it built in me a faithfulness, an endurance, a perseverance, a staying power, um, and a never-give-up attitude. Whatever the outcome, you can't give up on what you really <coughs> love, can you? And God loves his kids. And if you get his compassion, you love his kids as if they're yours. And God's love compels us to stay in that place. And it might be uncomfortable and unfamiliar and sometimes not very safe. And it'll cost us. But he wants us to make a delivery because we're loaded. Yeah. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? I'm going to tell you a story about my neighbours. <coughs> now, I've been feeding my neighbours three-legged cat for 18 years. When I started feeding her, she had four legs, but she sits in the middle of the road. <laughs> she doesn't like to move. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> she's not from Yorkshire. Anyway, <laughs> I just kept plodding on in the small things. And this is how God will build things in you if you just keep faithful to the small things. Because um, you don't know what's around the corner. Um, and in that time, my neighbours had a problem with one of my kids. And I, I thought that this was grossly unfair and, I, and they want to speak to this child of mine. And uh, I... But I thought... You're going to keep your heart soft. And forgiveness will keep your heart soft. And that's a wonderful way to have, to host God's compassion, a soft heart. Even when people don't, aren't sorry. Um, yeah. So I kept my heart soft and I kept feeding the cat. But it positioned me for what was round the corner. And one day my neighbour came to me and she said, will you come? She said, my husband is collapsed on the sofa. She said, he can't get up. 
she said he's, he's received this terrible diagnosis. He's got um, a five-centimeter tumor in his bowel. And secondaries in his liver. He's got four tumors in his liver. He doesn't know how to tell the kids. He's been to the hospital, and they don't hold out much hope at all. She said, he said that you look like somebody he can talk to. Now then. I was listening to God. Who knows that what we're most aware of, we release. This is something that I've, that I've learned at Eastgate. What we're most aware of is the thing that we release. So I had an ear out for God, and I thought, someone I can talk to. This sounds like God. So they're very strong, independent people. They're professional people. But he, you know... He just wanted me to go over there, so I thought, okay. So I went over, and I said, Lord, I'm out of my depth here. But I sat on the sofa with him, and I held his hand, and uh, he said, uh, and God actually gave me something to tell him. And that was the first delivery. Because he got up, he said, I feel strong. He said... I can tell my kids now. So he went and wrote to his kids what God had told me to tell him. And then he said, can you take us to the hospital? They, they have a car. I mean, they're, they're strong, independent people. They said, can you take us to the hospital because we feel safe with you? I'm listening to God. So this cost me because I, I took them to all their um, chemo um, and all their ops. But, you know, all the time I was leaking. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who knows that authority, you only have authority... Chris Vallotton says this, over that which you love and you value. Right. So, I was actually walking alongside the medical people as well, because all things work together for good, don't they? So God was using the hospital, he was using the medical staff, he was using uh, the therapies and the operations, and I was taking them to the hospital, and I was praying and we've got to be keeping on listening, Pete teaches on this wonderfully, because we've got to keep on listening to God, because uh, healing is not a formula, and he changes his instructions. So I was praying, and then he had me pray a different prayer. Who knows that Moses struck the rock, but he was unwilling to speak to it. He ran back to the yard. <laughs> So, so God said to me, listen to the all clear. Now, my parents were in the war, so I knew what he meant. He wanted me to listen to the air raid sirens. Listen to the all clear. And he wanted to release something from heaven. He wanted to release a sound. And he wanted me to sing it, not over my neighbor directly, because I think he'd have thought that was weird. But actually, he wanted me to... Um, 
to sing it when I was in the car, and he wanted me to persevere. What I would do, I would picture my neighbor, and like a beam, I would, I would release this sound. So he went, my neighbor went for his liver up. This wonderful woman, she said, I think I've missed something, she said, because I can't find two of the tumors. She said, I'm sure I have. She said, but we'll give you a scan after, after you've had your bowel up. He had his bowel up, and the surgeon said, I am astonished. A five-centimeter tumor had just melted. <laughs> totally melted. And there was just debris. And when they, they sent, um, the, when they got the results back from the histology, it was completely dead. So, <laughs> and the surgeon said, well, we may not be able to give you an ileostomy because the bowel might be damaged. But, you know, God works all things. So he went for the op. He got the ileostomy because there was healthy tissue there. <laughs> And the bowel was undamaged. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. So they did the ileostomy. Yeah. The bad news, though, he said, when they'd given him the all clear, was that you have to go on the NHS wasting list because you're no longer a cancer patient. <laughs> now, that was last year. Um, this year, and I'll tell you that um, all things work together for good and compassion will help you to overcome disappointment. Because he came back from the hospital and he said, the liver's clear, the bowel's clear. He said, but um, they said that we've got, um, some, I've got some nodules in my lungs. I have to start again. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let's, let's get in there. And he went, after a while, he didn't have any more treatment. And he went back. And the consultant said to him, he said, well, actually, he said, I can't see anything in your lungs. He said, but actually, what we'll do is, we can reverse that ileostomy now. And the bowel people said, this is the optimum time to have the ileostomy reversal. Wow. He would have had to wait months on the NHS. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All things work together for good. So this week I took him. It was Tuesday. And I took him to the hospital to have his reversal. I took him at the crack of dawn, but he wasn't in until midday. <laughs> but his wife texted me the next day. And she said, and he's nearly 70 this man. I think he's 70 already. She said, he's full of beans. He's hyperboard. This is the day after. He refused pain-killing pump and didn't have spinal injection. The doctor removed all drips and he's eating and drinking. He's in top form. And the anaesthetist and physio both really amazed at his progress. 
The physio gave up and said, her tests are a waste of time, he's so fit. <laughs> and he was told to bring in his normal clothes and get dressed. They call me their guardian angel. Ah, uh, wait. Da, da, da. It means that what they're doing is they're recognizing something. They're recognizing God's provision and protection because it's not about me. They're sensing God watching over them. They're sensing his influence. They're sensing his hand. God loves his people with a tenacity and a passion. you with a tenacity and a passion. <laughs> Just receive what... <laughs> Just receive this compassion. Just receive his love. That staying power that never gives up. That says it doesn't matter what the outcome is. I love you. And I'm not going to let you go. Never. Never. You're the apple of my eye. And who knows that anyone who touches the apple of my eye, I raise myself up. He's talking about the enemy now. I raise myself up against them. Okay. <laughs> I got this. You got, you got that. <laughs> it's going to be fun.
just want you to get hold of something, okay? Our job is to love the world and destroy darkness. It's as simple as that. Our job is to love the world and destroy darkness. And just one of the tips on that. See, God has given us authority to destroy all works of darkness, all works that he wants. So we have, we have, we have authority over every sickness, every disease, over every demon. And so our destructive power is aimed towards darkness. The authority that God gives you in relation to other people, as I say, is to build them up. Yeah. It is never to destroy people. Yeah. It is never to control people. God does not give you authority over anyone else. <coughs> he only gives you authority to release the resources of heaven. And the resources of heaven will destroy darkness and build people. Sure. Okay? Yeah. And we build people best by loving them. But love will cost you as well. Yeah. Don't know how many of you got kids. <coughs> love your kids. Does it cost you? <laughs> Not just financially, I'm talking about it. It costs, costs, costs emotional. Anything, any, any, any loving relationship has emotional yeah. cost to it. God so loved the world that he paid the price. He paid the emotional as well. I, just, I find it sometimes difficult to comprehend how the Father could have contemplated from before the foundation of the world what would happen to his son. You know, the price that he paid, the price that the Father paid. I, I once did a, a sermon... Uh, called How Much Did Christmas Cost the Father? Think Christmas is pricey? Father God paid an ultimate price for that. And it's interesting, I I remember the day I (coughs) preached that sermon, 27th of December, 1992. And uh, because my dad, who was a not-Christian, and had never heard me preach, decided he would come and hear his son preach. <laughs> For the first time. And that morning he rose out of his seat at the end of my sermon to give his life to Jesus. Now I'd waited 18 years dad managed to resist Billy Graham. We got into Billy Graham. <laughs> he resisted, he resisted, he resisted. And, uh, but uh, I remember that day. <clears throat> and I want to talk to you about compassion. I'm going to tell you a story, a story that will cost me emotionally. I know, I know it will. It always does. Um, I can't help it. It, uh, it will get my heart. It will probably impact you emotionally. So there's no apology for that. Um, so, as you know, I'm a, a medical doctor, and I've always found it a great delight to practice great medicine and have a great God alongside me. 
I think I'm unstoppable with those two. Uh, I believe medicine is a great gift of God. Um, it's directly aligned with the purposes of heaven to get rid of sickness, disease, pain. So I know the grace of God rests upon the world of medicine. And <coughs> I was uh, headed to be a doctor before I became a Christian, so, so I already decided that's what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to give my life to making people well. Um, and uh, then I got, I was born again, and I thought, well, I'll get to do that, and I've got God, and then this, me and God will be an unstoppable force. Um, and that's how I've basically lived life. <coughs> and, and in uh, 1995, um, I was uh, travelling to Mexico um, and with a group of other church leaders and friends, and, and there was a remote part of Mexico where I was going to be sent to, um, to work with, for a few days with a group of people called the Palme tribe, tribe uh, where there were a, a young Mexican couple who were missionaries there. Um, two weeks before I went <coughs> uh, out to Mexico, I was at a, a conference where uh, John and Carol Arnott from Toronto were, and uh, they heard that I was off to do this thing in Mexico, so they decided they'd pray for me. They prayed for me for 20 minutes, um, one at my head, one at my feet, and... Mm. The, the, the electricity and power of heaven went through me for 20 minutes. It, w- it was, honestly, it was like being literally plugged into the mains. It was, uh, I thought I was going to die. And I don't say that glibly. I thought I, I thought, I wanted it to stop and I didn't want it to stop. You know, it was because, and, and uh, you know, after they finished praying for me, I was, I was, I was uh, pretty useless for a good, a good while. Um, and two weeks later, I was in Mexico and travelled off to this really, really, really remote part of Mexico. And I've done work in um, Africa, India, and all sorts of places around the world. And I've been sent off to uh, look at medical missionary work in all sorts of parts of the world, including the slums of Bombay, Mumbai, as it's now called, and Africa. And, and uh, <coughs> So I've seen a lot of poor people, but these people in Mexico were the poorest I'd ever seen. Um, <laughs> Most of them lived in little stick huts. And when I say stick huts, I mean sticks. They, they had sticks that were stuck in the ground with nothing between the sticks. So there was nothing stopping the wind going through. It's just a few st- sort of sticks that they got and, and whatever they could get to make a roof. Mud floor, <coughs> um, a few rocks to, to sort of enclose a bit of the floor where they would have their fire for doing any basic cooking. And... <coughs> And that was it, and it was pretty bleak, um, and also inhospitable. Um, it was a mountainous terrain, and so in the winter, pretty cold. Um, can you imagine how cold it would have been in one of those? So, so, and they had no medical uh, facilities or personnel whatsoever there, and they, they were about two and a half hour drive along mountainous terrain before they get anywhere near what you would call a town. So they were very <laughs> remote. And basically what they, they decided, <coughs> what they knew was that this, um, these people wouldn't have known what, what Great Britain was. So say a British doctor was coming, they, 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 they hardly knew the rest of Mexico, let alone where Great Britain would have been. Um, what they knew was there was a doctor coming. And, uh, and so they put great hope in this doctor arriving on the scene. Um, and um, so there was great fanfares, doctors arrived. Um, and we were doing stuff with the missionaries as well, with to do with the church. But it was 
So, so, so I arrived, and then the, on the first day, they basically said, right, off we go, and we started to trek around the mountains and visit the little sort of... Um, they had little groups of huts, about six huts in a little sort of mountain clearing where, where they would have a small community that would, would be gathered together, and these were scattered all around this mountain area. And uh, <coughs> so they took me off, and uh, we were sort of wandering through the mountain area, and <coughs> got to this, this place, and the first place... Uh, first person they were taking me to see was a, a young man called Attilio, who's about, who was about 18 years old at the time. Um, and uh, <coughs> his mum was there, um, no sign of a dad or any other brothers and sisters. And, uh, and these people were diddy, really, really, really short. Not, not, you know, um, and the mum was <laughs> really diddy. Um, completely, completely hopeless people. Fatalistic in the extreme. Um, they were the last people to be conquered by the conquistadors when, when they went. And that wasn't because that's the bravest, it's actually they were the best at running away. Um, <laughs> and that's why, the, and they'd run away to this most inhospitable place because you know, it was the last place left. So, so they lived with acute shame um, and hopelessness. They had no fresh water supply. Um, so 25% of their children died before the age of five from amoebic dysentery. Um, and despite the fact that they had been told that all they needed to do was boil the water that they got from the river to avoid that. But they didn't do it because they, were just, they didn't actually even have enough hope in life to do something as basic as that. They just accepted death as, as, a, as a normal part of existence so even this is shocking isn't it you said that people who would love their children were so hopeless and I, I would say the most hopeless desolate place I'd ever seen so hopeless and devoid of hope that they wouldn't even boil their water to save their children from death can you imagine that no very difficult for us to imagine so when I say this place was desolate I mean it, it was so they take me to see Attilio Attilio was about 18 at the time and he was quadriplegic. And that means he's paralysed in all four legs. Uh, four, four legs. Oh. All, four, all, all four limbs. Both arms and both legs, funny enough. <coughs> um, and uh, that was because when he was eight, he'd been beaten up by a group of youth who'd mashed his head in with rocks. So he, he never walked since that day for ten years. So for ten years, his existence was lying on uh, a little reed mat on the mud floor in his stick hut. Um, and the only, ca- only break they got for that was when some men who lived around the area would carry him out and put him in the sunshine for a short while before they came back in because his mum wasn't capable of, of moving him. So I arrived and they, th- and they said, OK, here you are, Doctor. <laughs> and I thought, my oh, word. <laughs> now, I... I hope, talk about feeling hopeless and helpless. I, I thought, gee whiz. You know, and they expect me to do something. Now, the, the weight of responsibility was, was acute, you know, because they, they had. Uh, and there was myself <coughs> and two other uh, church leaders with me from, from the UK and this young missionary couple who were there. So <laughs> over to you, Pete. I'm thinking, thanks. Um, and uh, so, so I thought, well, li- literally. Now, if I'd had him in the UK, 
there'd been very little to do. We obviously there'd been a bit of rehabilitation, but you know, he, he was not going to get much help. <laughs> so I thought, well, I have got God, okay? So I'm not just a doctor, <laughs> I've got God. So we're going to pray. Now, I, I, you know, this is, there's a journey in this story. So, so I, I'm, you know, two weeks ago I'd had this powerful encounter with God, but you're faced then with a reality. You're going to deal with this one. <laughs> so we didn't start with a headache. Or a sprained angle. This was this was this was the first steal. This was the number one. You know, I think, hey, ha, oh. no gentle running. Um, so, so I said, okay, and I gathered the guys with me. I said, we're going to pray. Everybody goes, yes, good idea. Right behind you, with you all the way. <laughs> so we started to pray, and through the basically, I had to go from English to Spanish into the Palme language if I wanted any communication so we kept that to a minimum <laughs> we're going to pray and uh, started praying and this is what's important is actually faith comes by hearing <coughs> hearing by the word of God now the word of God can include the Bible it's not limited to the Bible God wants to speak to me so <coughs> so I'm listening okay and um <laughs> I need some help here. And any ideas you've got, God, are very welcome at this moment in time. <laughs> so, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and God says to me, "Right, I want you to ask if you can take the blanket off him." Now, this he had this little thread, but blanket off. This I can manage. This is that's that's an instruction. That's okay. So, so I, through translation, through his mum, can I take the blanket off him? Did so. He took the blanket off him and continued to pray. Now, this young man had what's called a spastic paralysis, which is where your muscles are in spasms. There's a different form of paralysis, which is flaccid, where everything's floppy. They're, they're, they're different form. Still paralysed, still unable to use, but they're, they're different. Um, now, this is where you, you need to listen in if you're involved in the medical world, because you, it's my absolute firm belief, that Christians in the medical world should be at the forefront of healing rather than the brakes on it. Okay? Because you have some discernment to see what God is doing before most other people will. So as we were praying, I watched Attilio's legs, and all of a sudden he went floppy. Because he was, he was like this. He was, he was, everything was scissored, and then he was, he was like this. And all of a sudden he went floppy, and I thought, wow. <coughs> To everybody else, that didn't mean anything. To me, I thought, something just happened. Still paralysed. No, no obvious change, except I'm seeing God do something. Once I see God doing something, I'm on it. So then I'm, then I'm still listening. Okay. Now, then God said, okay, you've seen that. This is evidence of God at work. I'm, I'm considering carefully how I'm listening right now. And I love Steve Backlund's uh, teaching. He says, do you know, there are no hopeless situations, only hopeless people. <laughs> you not heard that one before? There are no hopeless situations, only hopeless people, because God is the God of all hope. And he's, so, so he's starting to inject a bit of hope into me in this hopeless situation. <laughs> so I was like, wow. And so now, <coughs> you could say, well... 
fat lot of good that is, you're still paralysed. Now, what would have happened if I'd done that? I would have lost what I just... Okay? That's what I've just taught you about. But I think I've got something here. Now, if I, if I am faithful with this little bit, what will God give me? More. Okay. So the next bit was more, which I wasn't quite so happy about. So he then said, God said to me, right, Pete, I want you to pick him up, put his feet on the floor and let him go. I thought I could have, I wouldn't mind it a few steps in between. You know, bl- <laughs> blanket, easy. And we got, <laughs> there's a little, I was tempted to negotiate, you know. I said, oh, oh, oh. So I, I said to my mates who were with me, I said, um, um, God just told me to pick him up and put his feet, now they can't understand because I'm doing this in English, and pick him up, put his feet on the floor and let him go. And Andy Merrick, my mate with me, first time I've ever met him was on the street, he said, yeah, Pete, go for it. (laughs) 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 Behind you all the way. I'll I'll take the encouragement that comes out. (laughs) Okay. The other guy, church leader, said, you can't do that. And he was insistent. He said, you can't do that. I said, well, I can't do that. He said, you can't do it. You can't do it. I said, God's just told me to do it. He says, you can't do it. I don't care. You cannot do it. And I, I chose to ignore him. And it was a choice. He was, he was really ardent. And I'll tell you why, because it's important to the story, because I didn't find out till later why he was so ardent about this. He's got a sister with cerebral palsy who had never been healed. What was ruling his life? Fear, discouragement. Those things I taught you about, that work was not going to come alive in him because those ruled his mind in those areas. And he, he, he was not happy that I ignored him. So I thought, okay, here we go. So, and when somebody has not used their limbs for 10 years, they have no muscle bulk. So it doesn't matter whether God gets rid of the paralysis. It does, in one sense, that's a step. Putting their legs on the ground doesn't mean to say their legs are going to bear their weight, even if they can actually use them again. You understand? This is, this, this is, now, all this is going through my brain. I mean, oh, goodness me. Um, a little bit. And, uh, but cut a long story short, so I picked him up, and, <coughs> and, this is where, you know, and, I, and he and I had a moment. It was interesting, because I picked him up, and, and literally I picked him up, and he was so light, it was, woo. I thought I was going to be a bit slower, but woo, up he came. Because <laughs> he was like a feather. He had no... no bulk to him whatsoever and our our eyes met I don't know what happened at that moment in time you see he's a spirit not a body his body's wrecked but there's something going on his spirit was responding to me. And I knew there was an exchange going on. And, yeah, compassion started to flow. So this, then I had to maneuver him round, turn him round, aim him at the door. 
I wasn't convinced he could turn around on his own. <coughs> Aimed him at the door, put his feet on the ground, and then let him go. And he walked out the door. You should have seen the joy. Yeah. See, the Bible tells you that your faith is worth more than gold. That's what it means. You can't produce that. You couldn't pay for that. The best medical care in the world couldn't produce that. You have something worth more than gold inside you, and we need to dispense it to the world. I will never. I, I followed him out. I will. It's emblazoned on my memory. To this day is his face as he wandered out under his own steam for the first time in 10 years. And he started to look around and a smile broke on his face. His mum, this hopeless lady, wandered out in a daze. You know, completely, she didn't show much emotion. She was just, the young missionaries who'd been visiting for months were crying, whooping. I was dazed. So that was not a bad start to the day. <laughs> what about the guy who said don't do it? I'll tell you the end of that because that's the end of the story. So could you ask it now? I'll, I'll, but he was offended. And that evening, he took himself off to bed on his own, didn't talk to us. And he remained offended for the rest of the two weeks of our trip together. I want to say that, that is the power of disappointment if you let it take hold in your life. He, he had the opportunity of his life to break out of something. And how did he listen? with bitterness, offence. He was offended with me, offended with God, because of his disappointment. I understood, but as a Christian leader, if you want to lead people in disappointment, then stay in it. If you want to lead people in faith, get over it. It's, it's a tra- I. I, I it's interesting. It's interesting that question is being asked now because I've told this story for 20, coming into 24 years now, 23 years. The first time I was asked that question was last September. The, f- the first time, and I was asked the same question the first, in, within two days, you're the third pers- person who's ever asked me that qu- And I've never told before because I didn't, I didn't want to. Nobody's ever asked me that question in 23 years up until this moment in time. It's interesting, and I'm, I'm saying, but I've just I'm not, I've kept that secret because it's not my job to expose other people's. I said I wouldn't know where he's at with that at the moment. So anyway, so that was pretty good. <laughs> <coughs> so, and I'm pretty, I'm happy. I'm I'm a miracle worker. Going through my brain, I'm, ooh, yeah, yeah, 
So anyway, cut long story. So we went back to the to the the, um, <coughs> the main village where we were based, and um, <coughs> they basically organised a clinic for the afternoon where anybody who wanted to see the doctor could come. Oh, anybody and, and well, this was jamboree time. This was they were, the queue was. I mean, I'm looking out the window there. Well, the queue went at least to where that house is, and and also <laughs> I say, I, if you're medical, you'd understand this. It, the, the, they had. Got basically, what people were given was their, their leftover medicines that they no longer needed or wanted and kindly donated them to this sort of mission place. Well, I went through these. I thought, that'd be useful if I wanted to do a kidney transplant. That'd be very useful. <laughs> <laughs> Most stuff, it, it's all... It's all sta- they had plastic bags coming out of their ears, all pretty much completely useless. Because basically, the medicine you could do there was, was next, next to nothing because you can't do any long-term stuff. No long-term follow-up. So, it's, so I need to get people clear stuff instantly if I could. So, and we were praying for everybody. So anyway, this queue came, and then there was a, a young mum you know, coming closer in the queue, and I looked at the... She was carrying an, uh, about an 18-month-old child, uh, a daughter, and I looked at her and I thought, oh, that kid's ill. That kid's ill. And I could see already see it. And when she came close, I thought, this kid is really ill. Um, and she had amoebic dysentery. And she was already dehydrated quite sim- significantly at that moment in time. Now, again, this, is, this was challenging for me. I knew, because I, I, I did paediatric work and stuff like that, but given her in that condition in the UK, I would have saved her life medically. With IV antibiotics, IV fluids, I know, I know I, that I could save her life. And there I couldn't. That's tough. But we could pray. We prayed, nothing. Nothing happened. Now, I do believe God can do things that's not limited to my moment in time. I've seen that, you know, things happen. So we prayed for a while, but I've got this queue going back. So I was there, and more people to pray for, so we didn't pray long. So, And as, as this mum walked away with that baby, I said, unless God intervenes, that baby's going to die, that child's going to die today. Now, that's, I've just seen a miracle. Extraordinary. I'm still hoping for one, but I don't know. But I said, unless God does something, <laughs> that, that mum's going to have a dead child tonight. And I knew I could save her with my medical skills. But I had no chance to do so. So it was pretty rough. So anyway, we got through. Eventually worked our way through the queue. Don't know how long it took. And... Had something to eat. And then doing an evening meeting where I was basically preaching to the people there and, and uh, in a small little chapel with a one little electric bulb with this generator sort of trying to keep it flickering. Um, so it's pretty dark and uh, I was looking through the gloom at these people, preaching to them. And at the end of preaching I said, and I told them that you know, we'd seen God do amazing things today and if anybody wanted prayer for, you know, because for healing, we were going to pray for them. And as I, as I finished saying that, I, I, through the gloom I saw this mum earlier with the child lying in a lifeless form across her lap. 
And I went over, and, and <coughs> again, if you're medical, you understand this. This, this kiddie was actually chain Stokes breathing, which is the death of last. Then that's, there's no way back from that. It's just the, she's gone, and she was completely unresponsive, lifeless, no pulse, um, no response to pain or any other stimuli, and she was just completely gone. So she was dead, effectively. And uh, <coughs> but I thought, well, you know what? We can do miracles. So I said, said to the guys, um, not the guy who was disappointed, he was, he was not joining in. He was elsewhere, he was gone. So I gathered people together, we're going to pray, we're going to pray, we're going to pray. And I'm yeah, pretty determined. And I prayed, and we prayed, prayed for 20 minutes, nothing. And she was gone, she was dead. And prayed probably for about 30 minutes. And at that moment, I cracked. And I, I absolutely, completely lost it. And I lost it completely emotionally. I lost it with God. <laughs> he and I were not on good terms at that moment. And I mean, I'm, I was beyond angry. I was livid. I was frustrated, disappointed, all those sorts of things. Um, and I said, I, you know what? How, how does this work? That miracle this morning, this now. I walked away. I literally walked away. I was not interested in it anymore. Well, at that moment, I stuffed this. Now, this is quite a contrast, isn't it? In the day, this is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is a big contrast. I was not happy, boy. <laughs> um, and I literally, I left the scene. I thought, I've had enough of this. I didn't walk far away, but I just I disconnected myself from that that issue, that, that I was not, and um, and I wasn't doing it externally, but internally I was ranting. Now God's not afraid of your rants; He's not afraid of mine. And um, one of the, one of the keys I give you is while you're ranting, keep your ears open. <laughs> Seriously, keep your ears open because he's very good at getting through. And, and, and sometimes it's a whisper. And this little whisper came into my ear. And it was God. And, and he asked me the most stupid question that I think he could have ever conceived of at that moment in time. So he said to me, it was, it just, and I was really going for it. And he said, Pete, why were you praying? Oh, that is the most stupid question I have ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I, I thought, what? pretty obvious, pretty obvious, baby, dead, life, obvious, no, yes, no. And then, and this is my, Holy Spirit hit me. And it hit me with conviction, because I had to realise, what I'd been doing since the morning, I'd been rehearsing the stories I was going to tell when I went home. This was going to be another great story to tell. People were going to think I was amazing. What what I realised, and it, this this literally broke me, because I thought I was broken. <laughs> I thought I was broken before, but this got me. 
completely. And I realized that what had come into my life was selfish ambition. That I was now taking these young lives and making them my trophies to put in my cabinet. Look at me. And I had no love for that baby, basically. She was, she was, an, she was an object for my glory. See, selfish ambition disconnects. It's part of, part of human wisdom which is demonic. And I had, without knowing it, allowed this thing to enter my life. See, I had, I had fantastic connection in the morning <coughs> with God. Some, in those hours between, I lost it. <coughs> I had great faith there. No, I didn't have faith. I had ambition, selfish ambition. And I thought I could rest on my own experience. So I wept. And I felt even more responsible for her death. You understand? I felt more responsible. Why? Because not only could I have saved her medically, I'd missed saving her spiritually. So I'm just gone. Literally on my knees weeping. And God kept whispering. And uh, as I wept, something extraordinary happened. And um, he actually filled me with his compassion. I've never heard anything like it before or since. Um, I have had experiences of it like it, and I will release some of those experiences for you during the course of today. And I was flooded with the love of God for this young girl. And suddenly, it was as if she was my own, and I cared for her, just like I would have done one of my two kids. It was, it was, I, can't, I couldn't have manufactured it. It was, just, it was just literally overwhelming. So when it says you might have power to grasp how high and wide and deep and long is the love of God, I know that because he, he did it. His power somehow broke through my ranting, raving. Once I'd repented, because that's what I was doing, I was repenting. <coughs> and then, <coughs> this, 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 and, but I didn't know what to do with that either. It was all great, great having love for this kitty now. She's dead. Seriously, I think, yeah, I think this is nice. Thanks. <clears throat> and then he whispered. He said, Pete. He said, now you're ready. He said, now you can go back. I can go back and don't know what I'm going to do. So I got myself up, turned around, and went back <coughs> over to see this dead child, this mum, 
And I didn't know what I was going to do, but God said to me again, he said, okay, what I want you to do now is I want you to ask the mum to put the baby to her breast. Now that is macabre. Don't you think this is not, you go, oh yeah, of course. You probably think, I'm going to ask a mum to put a dead baby to her breast. But I thought, okay. So I just obeyed because I thought, I, I don't have much options here, but I'll just. <laughs> and so I did. I said, through translation, and she looked at me. Weird. The rest of the team were thinking, Pete's lost it. We, we thought he'd lost it, but he's really lost it now. So she put the <coughs> baby to the breast, and she, she, she actually let the baby go, and the baby just fell off, lifeless. And I said, do it again. So she put the baby to the breast. Baby started to suck. And ten minutes later, she was completely normal. And what I did in the few minutes before that happened, I resolved to God that I would never tell her story. I said, God, I don't care if nobody ever hears this story. The only important thing is that she she lives. See, if you do try and heal people to gain stories... We've not got it right. Now, God will give you stories. And what is strange is that her story is now known around the world because it's in the first chapter of my book. That book has literally gone around the world. It was on sale in Houston Airport. I get I somebody phoned up Eastgate from Asia a few weeks back and said, I've just read Pete's book. Uh, can I come to Eastgate for a few days? I want to learn. So, so <coughs> but one thing I can tell you, I don't know her name. Because I've resolved that I didn't need to. I could never find her again if I tried. I'm just glad she's alive. She'll now be in her mid-twenties. She's got life. And I'm just happy. (laughs) That day changed my life in so many ways. And uh, the story goes on, and I'm taking a while over this, but the story goes on because two weeks later, well, when I got back from the trip... A friend of ours, a really close friend who we'd led to Jesus, her husband, but not that, not part of our church, he actually uh, got very ill and he died in King's College Hospital uh, on the intensive care unit there. And uh, we prayed for him and he came back from the dead. The young missionaries, uh, subsequent to that, they told me that there was a, a young child, I can't remember how old, who died suddenly, and they prayed for, I think, a good number of hours, 
And that child came back from the dead as well. And they said to me, and they said to me that these young missionaries said, Pete, the miracles just kept on happening. I went back a year later to that place. <coughs> and it was completely changed. What do you think might have changed that would have excited me the most? They boiled the water. <laughs> no, you laugh. Why? Hope had arrived. They knew there was a God who cared. That is the most desolate place, the most desolate people. God arrived. They started to hope. They started to take responsibility for their lives. They started to boil the water. No longer did their kids die of maybe dysentery unnecessarily. More lives are saved through boiling water than through miracles. That's just good medicine. Just good science. So I love the combination. It's, it's they now have their fresh water supplies, they have electricity, they have education, they have five churches that have been planted around that mountain region. And they are literally a, a nation, they are a people group. 15,000 people, and I have seen the nation changed. Want to change the world? God's got his ways of doing it and he likes doing miracles. He really does love people and he wants to get us in shape to make the connection. And somehow, I'll say this again, I lost my connection. You think, well, how could you lose your connection at that moment of time? Because selfish ambition knocked on my door and I let it in. And that's how quickly I lost my connection. But God restored it. And he took the initiative to restore it. Because he always wants you to be connected. And he loves the world. So, there you go. Is compassion important? It is. Because without that you're a clanging symbol. If you're in the medical world, you'll see things before others do. And you're ready to be at the forefront of healing. You're also there to be the love of God in that place. Compassion. You're also there to be joy and peace. So wherever I worked, every place that I worked in the health world, I was known as the happy doctor. And because I used to pull, I still do, I pull on the resources of heaven all the time for my personal reality. Because <clears throat> I know I'm meant to live with perfect peace. Peace that passes all understanding. I've got a river, remember? I don't go for a little bit of peace when I'm worried. That's not a great way to live. I live with overflow. 
and wherever ever I worked in healthcare, <coughs> I, uh, I changed the atmosphere wherever I went to one of joy and peace. Because that's more productive. And uh, I've seen miracles. I could tell you so many stories of patients uh, where I've seen you know, obvious miracles. I've seen uh, words of knowledge. I've had people come into my consulting room and uh, they just got healed by just walking into the consulting room. And, I, I've, I've, and some of you will have had these conversations. I just want you to take note right now. I've, I lost track of how many times I've had people trying to persuade me they were ill before they came to see me. <laughs> <laughs> honest, honest, doctor. Honest, I was. I was. I was definitely in pain before I came in to see you. And then they apologise for wasting my time. <laughs> they do. It, 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 it's, it is quite incredible. Now, I just, how many of you who work in the medical world have had that happen to them? Okay. Keep those hands up. Now, I want, I want you to look around. Just see those hands? See, that is evidence of heaven in healthcare. Now, I know sometimes there's self-limited illnesses and people get better. You know, I'm, so don't, don't, I'm not extrapolating, but, but you, you need to understand that when people come into your world, which you own, where you are the master or mistress, whatever you like, of that atmosphere, if people will walk into an atmosphere of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, they will encounter the kingdom of heaven. They will touch Jesus in you. And he will do what he can do. So I'm so excited by it. And it's been true, I want to say, it's been true for me in my personal life for more than 40 years. It's been a lonely journey for many in the health world because broadly speaking, if you're like me and you've tried this, you've been told you can't do it, you're not allowed to do it, there's a lot of fear around. You think, ooh, careful, might lose your job. Stories are out there. What is that enemy that's just knocking on our door? Fear. Not, it's not God's wisdom. It's also, it is also not true that you're not allowed to pray for people. The General Medical Council and General Nursing Council guidelines I'll come to you in a minute, right? actually say that you have a responsibility as a doctor or nurse to take into account the spiritual needs and beliefs of your patients. It is negligent not to do so. People have spiritual beliefs that are important to them. It's actually important. Now, not everybody wants to engage on, on that, but the guidelines of the General Medical Council, General Nursing Council, allow for that interaction with people which can include prayer. It just has to be done wisely. And the basic premise of that is informed consent. Remember that story I told you earlier on? The guy with the lump in his neck? Yeah. 
See, what I, what I carefully did with that conversation, I just introduced, and all the way along, he's consenting to what's going on. If he stopped consenting, I just stopped the conversation. Yeah. I have never, ever got into trouble in 40 years. Never had a complaint about that. I've had, I've had one official complaint against me in all my medical career, which has nothing to do with spirituality. And I resist fear. Like, like fear is overwhelming the medical world, and it's time for it to stop. Yeah. When I went to medical school, and hear me on this, it's not, it's not an accusation against anybody, it's just the reality. As a first-year medical student, I went to a meeting with other Christians where we were discussing how, as Christians, we could help our patients. And uh, the hypothetical patient scenario was put out there and they said how can we help and I as a very very keen first year medical student full of God full of not quite sure what else but anyway I, I stuck my hand in the air and they said oh good keen first year happy days and so they said what can we do I said, I, said, we could pray for, I said we could pray for him to be healed and the room went completely silent it was, it was, it was an interesting moment in time and they said you can't do that I said, well, I can't do that. I said, Ooh, I can't do that. And I'm pretty persistent, as you'll probably get an answer. Why can't I do that? Because you can't, it's not a sufficient explanation. Well, you can't do that. I said, why? Why do you think I can't do it? Now, this was included all sorts of levels of way, way above my experience. And this is what they said. They said, you can't hold that carrot out in front of people. Now, do you know what that analogy is? That, that's basically you're offering them hope that they will never reach oh wow that is hopeless they're saying that hope is false do not place it in front of your patients because you will be damaging them emotionally that's the argument that's given out that's the common argument that you are I, I, I refute that entirely I refuse to associate with it I love these people but I chose not to join in with that way of thinking And it's, it's not, that's not easy, necessarily. It's, I'm not against people, but I will refuse what I think is, is anti the expression of kingdom of heaven on earth. And something that is literally hopeless is not heaven on earth. Yeah. <coughs> and uh, so we're building this thing called Heaven Healthcare. Can we bring it up? Where's Miriam? Wave at me, Miriam. Miriam's a GP down in Southampton. <laughs> And we're working together, aren't we? She's doing a good job. So she's got a Heavenly Health Group in Southampton, haven't you? Yeah. It's early days. <laughs> and uh, this is designed to a place for Christians working in the health sector to connect, learn, and be inspired to release heaven wherever they go. This is our website. Um, the website is not Heavenly Healthcare, it's a, it's a tool of Heavenly Healthcare. Heavenly Healthcare is for anybody, any Christian who works in that health sector and so one of our favorite stories is is of Linda Linda is a hairdresser and um, she uh, had her own hairdressing salon and God told her to give it up and go and uh, work with elderly people in residential care homes and cut cut their hair she said I don't want to do that I don't like old people Um, (laughs) this is is her story this is her this this is how she tells the story she said she said but I couldn't escape the fact that God had told me to do it, so she obeyed in faith, you know? 
Is that interesting? Now, when you obey in faith, you open up your future. Rather than subject what God is saying to you to, to, to your current human reason. Yeah. And what she was saying now, as she did that, she started, then, then God put compassion in her heart for these elderly folks, particularly those with dementia. So she, had, in, in, she works in six residential care homes where she cuts their hair, and she has a little sort of place where she does it. And she, she, when she cuts these people's hair, she, she sings over them. She prays over them. The families gather in there to be in the atmosphere that she's creating. And she is seeing some wonderful breakthroughs in dementia. She is heaven in healthcare. She has no medical qualifications, no nursing qualifications. She's just a Christian, as I am. See, I don't place my hope in the fact that I've got medical qualifications. Actually, I've got hope. My hope is I'm a Christian, and who's inside me? Holy Spirit. Any Christian working in this sector, come join in. I love our health service. I literally love it. But I'm really saddened by the state that it's in at the moment. And I am determined that that's going to change. Wouldn't it be lovely for our health service to be known as a great place of righteousness, peace and joy? Righteousness is no blame, no shame. We live in a blame culture. Fear of litigation. Fear of oversight. Appraisal mechanisms, all this sort of other stuff. (coughs) There is massive problems with retention Doctors, nurses. So when the government, and I, not, not against the government, when they say we need, to, we need to train more, I say, actually, if you hold on to ones you've already got, we, that would help. <laughs> I'm serious, because actually, the drain, why? Because, you know, they don't want to work here. Now, I find this example, because I, I, I entered the, you know, I qualified in 1982 as a doctor, and we used to work the most crazy hours. I used to work up to 136 hours a week. On call, doing emergencies, you know, talk about heavy, heavy workload, busy, you name it. Loved it, I loved it, I loved it, I loved it. Why? We used to work as a team, we were all positive together, it was encouraging, it was, for, you know, it was hard. And in the middle of all that, I have a river that flows. So if I tell you, tell you a story, so <laughs> when I was on call at weekends, anybody else do 80 hour weekends? Anybody else do it? Yeah. yeah. 80-hour weekends, a couple of us here. It, it was torture, wasn't it? Sheesh. Friday morning to Monday evening. Non-stop. And no sleep guaranteed. Grab a bit when you could. Probably averaged about two hours a night most jobs I did. I used to hate getting an emergency call about four o'clock in the morning if, I was, if I'd got in bed. Yeah. I didn't like them any time. But if I got in bed, I was hoping for a bit of sleep. I don't know why it was. Four o'clock in the morning was my worst. I don't know. Uh, so I get a call at four o'clock in the morning. By golly, was I grumpy. <laughs> Particularly if it was Monday morning, four o'clock, where I'd already been on duty for the best part of 72 hours. And you say, every reason to be grumpy, every reason to be tired, every reason to... Yeah. Why should you exhibit joy and peace at that moment in time? <laughs> You'd be completely justified being extremely grumpy 
and letting people know how tired you are. Yeah? Would it be okay? Except the patient that comes in at four o'clock on a Monday morning is no less needed than the one that came in at nine o'clock on a Friday morning. Their life is just at risk. The staff who are trying to work with that patient deserve a happy doctor rather than a grumpy doctor just as much as the ones that got the morning shift. And I used to see this with the nursing colleagues, actually. They, if, if they got a grumpy doctor who really gave them an earful down the telephone, they were frightened to call the doctor. That jeopardised people's lives. So I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be like that. Not because I've got the human resources to make that possible, but because I've got a river inside me. And so I used to, when I woke up at four o'clock in the morning, I'm just, I felt... But what I do is, I, I've, I've trained myself. I pray in tongues 24 hours a day. That's, that's a spiritual discipline. I worship 24 hours a day. That's another spiritual discipline. And when I woke up at four o'clock, I'd literally bring both those things to the surface and I'd, I'd actually I'd, I'd bring my praying in tongues actually making it verbal and uh, I'd sort of put clothes on, white coat <laughs> and go off and start to trudge along the corridor walls speaking in tongues. Now most of the patient, uh, any staff wandering thinking <laughs> and my, uh, <laughs> psychiatric units that direction uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think that's Dr Carter but never mind um, and, and uh, what's this, this what the, what the Bible says is that praying in tongues builds you up. Yeah. It literally, it's like, for me, it's like pumped up. I, I, was like a, I was like an inflatable toy that was half inflated. That's how I put it. But you know what? <coughs> As I spoke in tongues and I worshipped, it used to be like I used to... <laughs> I used to get blown up to my right shape. My right shape... Is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I would say, by the time I arrived on the ward, I was not just spiritually, I was physically ready. Spiritually ready, I had peace, I had joy. The patient got the best Dr. Carter. The nurses got the best Dr. Carter. And I want to say, I actually know this works. Because I've done it for 40 years. But most of that 40 years, it's been a solitary journey. As I've battled to overcome what I think I would call corporate unbelief in this, this area. And when Jesus... And this is just a little thing I was going to throw out there. I'm just going to go a few minutes past half here, that's okay. But... Um, when, when people asked... When disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't heal some people or why they couldn't cast out a demon a couple of times I think it was a couple of times he said oh perverse and unbelieving generation he wasn't commenting on the individual he says you are part of a cultural perversity of unbelief You with me? That's yeah. If you want some answers to some of what is why we don't get more healing, it's, I believe that is really important. Yeah. And I refuse 
and this is important because I had some of these questions, I refuse to, 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 to aim <coughs> any degree of blame or shame at any individual. Because yeah. that's not righteousness. If blame and shame are not, not my... Not, don't come from the kingdom of heaven. Those are accusations that come from the wrong place. So I'm not going to aim at you and say, oh, you lack faith. Right? I refuse that. That's horrible. If you've ever been blamed for having not enough faith to heal somebody or you didn't get healed because you've got enough faith, I want you to throw it off right now because that did not come out of heaven. It's a devilish scheme and it produces fear and judgment and it's wrong. So, so we train our teams. If somebody comes to our healing centre... And there are many who don't get healed. It's, we never, there's no accusation towards our team or to the person. But everybody who comes to our healing centre will feel, leave feeling loved, having been in the encouragement of, a place of encouragement of hope and peace and joy. And then what? And we've done feedback st- statistics on our healing centre of, of people's experience. And uh, just about 100% positive about how people feel about the experience. Not 100% healing, but actually hope, just like I said. They might start to boil their water again. But I do believe, as a group of people, and I'm I'm talking to a group of people of whom I am part, okay? This is not me talking to you separately. We have a challenge of of communal unbelief to take on and beat. And I honestly believe the best assessment that we can put of that is, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. That is where I stand. So if we just, we, we do believe, don't we? <laughs> help us overcome our unbelief is, now this is dedicated to that in the world of healthcare. It will explode beyond that. I believe it's true for all of Christianity, but I've particularly got my focus and my guns aimed towards the world of healthcare. I also (laughs) want to say this, that so it's not just righteousness, peace and joy. I want miracles to be uh, available on the NHS. Have I (laughs) talked? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? And I'm not, I, I forget which group of people I've told, but I'm going to tell you. If you've heard this before, it's just rejoicing the good news again and forgive, and forgive my lack of memory. Um, in December, uh, well, we've run our healing centre now for more than eight years. I think it's more, no, it's actually it's coming up to eight years. Um, we basically see about 1,000 people a year in our healing centre. We've, we've basically established it on, on very clear guidelines of how not to cause any um, stumbling blocks as far as, we p- as possible with the medical world. Now, I'm not going to go into all that. That's, that's a long, long training and story. But, but it, trust me that the Christian healing world places massive stumbling blocks in the way of engagement with, with the health world. Unwittingly. Yeah. Unwittingly. And, and s- simple things like stupid stuff that comes out like the doctor cursed me with a diagnosis. You ever heard that one? How insulting is that? Would you feel valued if you were the doctor that bought a, di- a correct diagnosis? It's just information. Or the testimonies we come out with, well, went to the doctor, they didn't do anything, but we prayed. I'm sure they did do something. Just understand, it's this careless language which actually dismisses the health world. So, <coughs> um, I, lost, I lost my track. I was on something. I lost my mind. Um, 
What was I just about to say? That's it, Healing Centre. There we are. That's it. That was it. That was it. On yours. On yours there. So we've set it up to, to, to overcome. I need, I need his help. That's why I bring a team with me. Um, so we work really carefully to guard the environment so that it's, it's, it's accessible and compatible with the National Health Service. And in December, we presented our healing centre to 100 local GPs as a complementary service. I'll say that again. I lost one. As a complementary service, and this was actually in a CCG meeting, uh, approved what's called protected learning time, monthly learning time. So, so one of the doctors who works with me at Eastgate, um, who's part of the uh, management of the CCG, he, he did this fantastic presentation where we have basically now made our healing centre available uh, as a place of, I wouldn't say referral because we're not doing referrals, but a, a recommended uh, um, resource. For the, for the, and we've actually positioned ourselves as a place for spiritual referral. Because of the needs that the, the doctors are meant to, nurses are meant to, we say, we recognise in your busy lives you're probably not going to meet that need. Let us help you. You, you had your hand in there. Have you got a question that you wanted? Yeah, sorry. Good. Into my consulting room, yeah. Yeah. So the, the question, I'll, I'll just reiterate, because in case <laughs> the question is, is when people walk into my consulting room and they're better, and then they're trying to explain. Do I explain? Oh, you've just met Jesus. No, I don't. Um, because. Unless that's part of a conversation where they've taken me down the line of that, that would be stepping across the line. So, so now it might be, hey, I don't know what happened to you, Doc, and I might say, wow, that's amazing. I did have one patient. This is this is what happened with one patient. He, he, he said, and it was this was uh, yeah. Time for a quick story on this. Then we'll, then we'll have coffee. Okay, so this, I've got, I have so many stories. So so <coughs> so this is my life. Um, this guy came in and. I was in the middle of probably, in 30 years in general practice, the worst session I'd had in 30 years in terms of pressure. Um, I was doing the emergency stuff, and, and, you know, all the urgent stuff, anybody walking in. Well, everybody was walking in, including all the psychiatric patients who decided that they were <laughs> going off. Not funny, I'm not, this is, I, I, I can talk about how we interact with mental illness. We've got solutions for that as well. So I'm not, but, but they are time-consuming. I had had one lady who... who uh, discharged herself from psychiatric hospital that morning and turned up and she was literally in my consulting room uh, shouting, screaming, banging her head on the wall. Um, <coughs> and the, the practice nurse came in to make sure I was still alive. <laughs> she did, literally. They, they sent the practice nurse in with, with the excuse of getting something out of the cupboard just to check that Dr Carter wasn't pinned up against the wall. Right? <laughs> And um, it was it was manic, um, and you, but I've still got peace and joy, and it was interesting. At the end, I'll just say, got fast forward to the end of that 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 session in the evening, reception staff said, "How did you keep your cool?" I said, "Ah, that gives me opportunity because yeah. I've got a river." Yeah. Anyway, I was in the middle of this, and and, and I say. I, 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 if you've done this, you'll, you'll understand. I was praying for somebody with something like earwax to come in. 
I just needed some. I just needed a, a calm five minutes of, of, of something that was completely undemanding. I wanted somebody with emergency earwax. You know, it was that was. I've I've lost my hearing. I thought, oh please, Jesus, send me, send me, send me in an easy one because I was already way behind, and I just had this stack of people like the queue that was going back to over there. Oh God! And uh, anyway, so this is this is my prayer, Jesus. I need some respite. And in, this guy comes into my room, and you know when you can see somebody, and you think, oh my goodness, you're real. This guy was grey, and he walked in, and he and he was, he saw how he walked in. He was obviously in trouble, in pain. His sweat was, and he was. His face was completely grey. And I thought, oh my, this is not earwax. <laughs> <laughs> this is definitely not earwax. And I'm, I'm honestly, I'm thinking, this is the last thing I need. And compassion is flowing out of me towards this guy. But I thought, oh, cool, he's in trouble. And then he told me a story. I thought, actually, you really are in trouble. And I said, I've got to examine you. Can you get up on my couch? She said, she said that's going to be difficult. I said, I'm sorry, yeah, I know it's not going to be easy. Let's help you get up on the couch. I'll examine you. And so I got him on the couch, and um, eventually I'm examining him. And I examined his chest. I thought, mm, can't find anything wrong. I examined his abdomen. I thought, can't find anything wrong. Now I'm getting confused. I thought, hmm. And this, I'm, I'm still in earwax. I like an earwax mode. Um, I can't find out what's wrong with this child. So I'm, I'm confused, a little frustrated. And I said, look, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I know this is going to be difficult, but I need you to get up off the couch and show me what brings on the pain. He said, no way. He said, no. He said doc, it's agony. I said, I, said, I understand that. I, just, I, I, I need you to help me right now because I, I don't know what's wrong with you. I know you're seriously ill, and I've probably got to send you in hospital, but I need to have some idea of what I'm sending you in for. And said, okay, so I got him up, helped him off, and actually got off the couch. And then he said, well, Doc, it comes on when I do this. And, it, uh, <laughs> and he was completely gone. It, pain was gone. And, and I... <laughs> now, now, and now he's looking astonished. I, I, was, I was so astonished, I was go. Because I was, I was still in earwax mode, I think. <laughs> so, seriously, I, now, I had... No, this, this is the, the favour of God. I had zilcho compassion for that chap, really. General, but not a lot. I, I wasn't thinking of praying for him. I was just thinking of getting him through and out. I didn't deliberate anything in terms of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, he just walked in and... He got healed. And then he said, he said, then he goes, honest doc, it did hurt. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, I know. I said, no, no, I'm so sorry. I said, I said, do not apologise for being better. He said, yeah, but I've wasted your time. He said, he said, I don't know how to explain it. He had a typical sort of kind of sales line, I don't know how to explain this doc. I said, I said, I said, it's almost miraculous, isn't it? He said, yeah, but he said, I don't believe in miracles. <laughs> <laughs> now, this is, my, this is my entrance, you see. So I said, actually, I do. He said, really? I said, yeah, I, I, I believe in miracles. He said, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. 
That was it. That, now, that was the end of the conversation. The, the, the conversation didn't go any further. Number one, he didn't want it to go any further. Number one, I wanted to see all the people who were hacking. But this is the important part for your medical. I then gave him all the right information about if the pain going back and what he needed to do. I still have my job to do as a doctor. Not just... That, that's, that's really important. I have always made sure I complete my medical work to the full and then this is complimentary. But he walked out happy, and I was happy, and then I faced the rest of the afternoon, which included more psychiatric people. And so. so I'd like, if we take, we'll probably take a half-hour break to about 10 I'd like to invite any of you who are interested in this, particularly working out, to come and see me at the front. And Felicity, where are you? Felicity, Felicity, come up here. She's not gone to the toilet again, or she might have done in the meantime, but... Uh, <laughs> She is British after all. <laughs> she loves me, really. She loves, she loves me. Anyway, Felicity helps me, and there are various other people from the Heaven Healthcare team, but Felicity in particular is the connector. And uh, so she would love to connect with you. Miriam, if you're happy to come down here, because Miriam is really been pioneering stuff that we've been doing down in this area in Southampton. It's not too far away. And we're trying to connect people because it's not just a... We don't want this just as a, a website, but actually locality meetings. So we're looking at groups growing around the country. We've probably got... We've just got five now. So Bedford, Southampton, going to be one in Dundee. I'll be up there next month. Um, looking at other places, Oxford, hopefully, before long. And so an army is gathering of Christians for the health world. <laughs> and I'd love to recruit you to be part of that army. Uh, and if you want to be part of that, then, then please come and t- talk to us. Uh, we'll take a half-hour break. Is that right? We'll be back about quarter past four? Yeah, quarter past four. Quarter past four. And uh, I'm going to talk to you about how to grow in faith in the next session. This evening, we've got a long session where we've got more worship time, and we will go for healing this evening, okay? Yeah. Um, particularly, uh, now, I might do a little bit after, but... What I want to do after the break is try and help you understand how you grow in faith. Um, and then this evening we'll, 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 we'll let our hair down and really go for it. I'll do a bit of teaching, but you will see miracles tonight, okay? Okay? So we'd love to see anybody who wants to be part of this thing called Heaven in Healthcare, then please come and join us at the front.